0: The story is not told to us to make this point. Look at David, a great example of patience and long-suffering forbearance. No, notice how the Spirit of the Christ constrains David, leads David, allows him to endure with patience and without complaint, the insults, the cruel disrespect of the enemy.
1: Welcome back to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. You're listening to episode 119. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing here at the Seminary. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Rev. Mark Vanderhart, Associate Professor of Old Testament Studies, continues his series on being Christ-like in conflict and how that theme is presented in certain Old Testament accounts. Today, he takes us through the account of David and Absalom, and where the Spirit of Christ was present in this tumultuous family conflict.
0: In the stories we have of David, King David, a man after God's own heart, again we see something of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ operative in David, even as we also see many, many, many sinful things in David's life. After all, David is a descendant of Adam, our first father, our father in the original covenant, and therefore the nature of the first Adam is very evident in David. Something that is repeated in a number of stories in the Old Testament is how the expected firstborn, who is to normally take the lead in any family, the firstborn is bypassed by Yahweh as he picks another son. Cain is the firstborn, but he turns out to be a murderer. Um, Seth, the thirdborn of Adam and Eve, is the one who continues the line. In Abraham's family, it's not Ishmael, the firstborn son of the slave woman, but it's Isaac, who was born later, the son of the free woman. In Jacob's family, it's not Reuben, it's not Simeon, it's not Levi, it's Judah. And Judah has twins with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, but it's not the older son, it's Perez, the second son, and on and on and on. And when this prophet Samuel comes to pick a king, it's not the oldest sons of Jesse. It's the son who wasn't even summoned for this family gathering. David is out taking care of the sheep. Well, in any case, David is the chosen of the Lord, and Saul uh, seeks to destroy him on many occasions and then backs down and repents. Um, But even there, as Saul seeks to destroy David on a number of occasions. Think of 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26. Uh, David does not uh, kill Saul when he had an opportunity. He is restrained. Because he's a good guy? No. David, too, is a sinner. But he respects the office of Saul. He will not strike the Lord's anointed. So when David becomes king... Again through the providences of the Lord, uh, he he now has a position of power, and we've heard it said that power tends to corrupt, absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. And to be a king meant that David would have at his command uh, the resources of the court. Uh, he has a number of wives, um, he has wealth, he has troops. Uh, Joab commands the army to uh, uh, defend Israel and to uh, defend David as king. Uh, But here, once again, the instruments of power can be very, very tempting to use and abuse and misuse. When we think of what a king was supposed to be, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, where God says to his people, when you come into the land and you want to have a king like the other nations... That isn't necessarily wrong to have another king to have a king, but these are the strictures. these are the limits. He must be the king whom Yahweh chooses. He must not acquire many wives because in the ancient world many wives was a way to maintain political power you you marry princesses from neighboring uh, countries and thus keep them in a friendly "Quote unquote," a friendly distance. Uh, You don't acquire silver and gold; money is power. You don't acquire lots and lots of horses; horses are uh, chariot enabling um, weapons. In other words, the normal instruments of power. An Israelite king, a king under in covenant with the Lord and his people, they were not to have those. They were not to have those. And so um, the king in ancient Israel was a constitutional monarch. And when I say constitutional, I mean under covenant, under the Mosaic Covenant, uh, according to the strictures in which power and defense, though very important for any ruler, would be Yahweh. Yahweh will defend the people. Yahweh is the strength, the fortress, the uh, rock. Upon which Israel and its monarch will be maintained. We come to the the story then as David ages, where when kings go out to war, David stays in Jerusalem. He sees a woman bathing one night on the top of her house, Bathsheba. He, um, she is brought to his palace. Um, A child is conceived. There's adultery which is a sin punishable by execution, according to the Torah. And then when uh, this uh, sin becomes evident through the pregnancy, then uh, David engineers uh, through conspiracy to have her husband, Uriah, killed. Well, now there's two sins that David is guilty of, both of them punishable through, through death. And uh, David is, by the grace of God, spared death, His son dies, but he is spared, and yet the sword does not depart from the house of David. And David experiences something uh, most, most painful. Whereas Saul sought to destroy David because Saul was already king, rebellion against David arises within his own house, his own vain son Absalom seeks to draw the Israelites to himself. Uh, steering them away from David, uh, stealing the hearts of the Israelites, so that as David is in his advanced years, the discontent and the unhappiness with David is is taken by Absalom, and he goes into open rebellion against his own father. Here's where we see the effects of sin when sin takes over the human heart. I don't think any of us should ever underestimate underestimate what uh, sin in a human heart can do. I mean, think of this: Adam and Eve. Adam lives for many centuries, hundreds of years, and the human race after that will live a long time. And shall we say, biologically, man slowly wears down until you know our average ages are 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years old. But So biologically, we are gradually shrinking in the early chapters of Genesis. But the human heart goes from alive before the fall into sin to instantly dead and cold. Cain kills his own brother, and when he's confronted by the Lord... Cain's answer to Yahweh is this: "Where's my brother? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm not his keeper. I don't know. I don't care. That's cold. Well, when a son rebels against his own father, and not just, you know, gives his father, you know, a big mouth, but rather raises troops, um, one is, one is struck at how cold the human heart is." Uh, Absalom's troops come into Jerusalem. David and his entourage leave Jerusalem, headed east, weeping as they walk away. There, but how does David respond? Again, it's left into the hands of the Lord, even though in this instance there will be an open battle. Uh, David pleads, uh, da- David malfunctions, shall we say, uh, misses misuses his role as both king and father, because when he hears what happened, uh, Absalom kills his own half-brother Amnon, and the text says that when David heard it, he's very angry. Okay, that's, that's an emotional reaction, but his reaction as king should have been justice. The murderer should die. There should have been justice within his own children, That's the calling of an office bearer, Uh, but he does not, and therefore the the poison remains in the person of Absalom. In any case, Absalom is defeated. He um, basically comes to an end, once again engineered by the Lord so that David uh, doesn't personally have to carry out the execution. It says in Deuteronomy that if you have a son who is rebellious, and it's persistent rebellious, the parents should take him to the elders of the city, and obviously then they would investigate, there would be sort of a court hearing, we can well imagine, and if that son, who is accused of being rebellious by his own parents, is found to be guilty, he would be executed by stoning and um, cursed as he who hangs on a tree says Deuteronomy 21. Well, interestingly, and almost almost comically, though it's sort of tragicomic, when Absalom is fleeing, he's riding on his donkey, and his head and hair get caught in a tree. And Joab's men find him, and Joab executes him, and he is buried under a pile of stones. Sort of like, What Deuteronomy prescribes for the rebellious son is carried out with uh, Absalom. Once again, the Lord engineers this. David doesn't have to personally do it. Uh, David is, of course, grief-stricken. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son, he he weeps. But interestingly, the text of Scripture in Deuteronomy is fulfilled in the death of 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 Absalom. Now when we think of how, what's what's going on here? Uh, David does David is restrained in his own reactions, but interestingly in the events, in the providences of Absalom's demise, uh, he fulfills what Deuteronomy actually prescribes. God's word still stands. The rebellious son, Absalom, dies. Uh, he is found hanging on a tree, literally on, in a tree, the curse of God. He is buried under a pile of stones. The rebellious son was to be executed with stones. And so uh, the death of Absalom is a mo- is sort of a monument or uh, an indication that God's word is is true. Now, interestingly, we see in Christ's death, He hangs on a tree, not because he is the rebellious son. He was the obedient son, but Christ dies on the cross because he takes to himself the guilt and rebellion of all God's elect. And therefore, because he has that guilt, he now dies the death that is accursed. Galatians 3 makes that clear. It connects uh, the death of Christ to the curse that God's elect should have, but instead Christ takes it to himself, and thus he dies, the just for the unjust. It's a way that second Corinthians five fleshes out the blessings that we have in the gospel. He who knew no sin, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, in that way, God maintains at the cross his justice, the guilty shall die. Christ is reckoned to be guilty, not for his own sins, but for our sins that are, he takes to himself. Uh, but here's where the mercy of God comes through. The mercy of God in that we who deserve that justice find, uh, instead of strict justice, the mercy and kindness of God, the grace of God that frees us from that death penalty of that Jesus suffered on our behalf so in in this account of absalom's rebellion um, all these things turn against absalom because it was the lord's will to frustrate the plans of absalom's rebellion against his own father when david was fleeing from jerusalem he is humiliated by a relative of Saul, Shimei, who throws uh, dust and rocks at David, you man of blood, you're getting what you deserve. And instead of striking back at Shimei, when he has the troops to strike him down, David is very restrained uh, because he throws his case to the court of heaven, let heaven decide, and... um, cursing a king would have been a serious crime, capital crime. Yet David does not summon his legions to fight for him at this moment. And he's not playing a martyr role, that's not it, Uh, as if he is the principal actor in a melodrama, not at all. He knows that the heavenly court has the final say. He knows that God, the final judge, knows all the particulars. And so the story is not told to us to make this point, Look at David, a great example of patience and long-suffering forbearance. No, notice how the Spirit of the Christ constrains David, leads David, allows him to endure with patience, and without complaint, the insults, the cruel disrespect of the enemy, all the time knowing that the heavenly judge will adjudicate Handle David's case with perfect justice.
1: Tune in next week as Reverend Vanderhart concludes his series on being Christ-like in conflict, where he'll reflect on the split of the tribes of Israel. I hope you can join us then. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable.
0: I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.